This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Hi, I'm Charlie Cuff, a Year 10 student at Nelson College, and welcome to the Gen Z Time Machine. Today, I'll continue the story of Eric Illis and his extraordinary account of how he survived a freak hunting accident. I wanted to get out hunting again, so I took these, I went with these other three sort of mates. One of them, he'd been to the uh, Second War in Italy, fought in there, soldier, mm-hmm. but it, he hadn't been hunting before. And with dogs, it get very exciting, you know. When they're down on a gully, we're, we're down on a gully with a dog pull one up and just bailing it. There's only one dog, but when my dogs got there, there's about three there. Anyway, it's in a creek, pretty rough place, and a lot of burnt logs. And anyway, I had to climb up this log to get where the pig was bailed on the other side near the creek. And anyway, the dog that was found it and bailing it was blown to the farmer as a, a stock dog, right? You use it on anything you want, it seemed to know. And uh, anyway, I know 303 in a long time, they call them a long barrel, mm-hmm. single shot like a cowboy one, and one shot only. And well, I was only old enough to own one, 16, before you get your license. I had to get up in the slog to see the pink. I couldn't get underneath it, I didn't want to. Uh, and so when the dog was far enough back, I shot it, went down, and anyway, I jumped down, hit the ground, and I was about to cut it through it and all that, and before I put the rifle down, I only went down like that, and next thing I was, my bloody chest was on fire, and God, I was that stunned, I hardly knew what had happened, but instantly the pain was uncontrollable through the lung, took a third of the lung out, and we were in the back between the ribs. You can hardly see the gap. You feel your ribs and you feel the gap. They're that close together. Mm. Well, I was lucky that that bloke that shot me, he just bought, he, he didn't have any munition. So on our way out on a Friday night, we, uh, we were, like I was working on town, Woods Groceries. So we all, we all loaded, got our gear there and had to stop at my place to pick up the dogs at Tohuna. And anyway, you went in there uh, to buy a pack of ammunition. Anyway, I bought, bought a pack of uh, 303s. And lucky for me, they were sharp. They hadn't been mucked around with. Whereas us other three, my other two mates, we had hollow nose and we filed them flat and uh, aluminium tipped and when they hit anything they just go like that make a big hole in the back drag your chest out you're dead mm. you're quick you don't know you're dead you know when you hit the ground so I, I was one and I, a lot of the people at the hospital couldn't believe how lucky I was because we, where the bullet went in the ribs uh, it's hard to see now mm-hmm. it's just a tiny wee Thing. But we're a come out, boy. We're a come out. You can rub your hands over a field, or you can have a look at and all that. Eric lifts his shirt to show me the scars from the bullet's exit. 
there, filled with broken bones and, wow, yeah. and that. Yeah. Well, where it come out there, it was two and a half inch diameter, sort of round, and where it hit, it hit three bloody ribs, and some of them just come out with a bullet and just pieces. And the thing was that straight after that, the bloke that shot me, he was stunned. Because what he did is when I just shot the pig, he jumped down off the log behind me with his three, he had a 303, but his was a more magazine job, more later than my old one, because he was an older bloke than me and been in the war. And anyway, when he hit the ground, instead of holding the rifle like that when you jump, like you're going to hit the ground, you got to, when you pass your, for your license, you got to know all that. And although he'd been in the army, he had experience, when he hit the ground, he held it like that. I was about that far in front of him. And when he hit the ground, you know, his feet impact, and he had a finger on the trigger, and she went straight through my back at that range. And because I couldn't, in a flash, why did he bloody shoot me? The pig was already on the ground. And, but it all happened in a flash. And then straight away, instantly, the pain coming out of that, it was burning like a fire in my chest and the blood was pouring out. And I knew nothing about first aid. Uh, you know, uh, I just lay there and then I thought, there can't be so much blood in your body. You know, it my way, it won a lot. What I did, I put my hands over, over the hole and the blood squirted between my fingers. I lay down on the ground. I couldn't control myself for half an hour. I just writhed around. So I had a green t-shirt. So I ripped it up and I plugged in the hole and it stopped for a while, but the other two were right up on the ridge and there's no sign of them coming. Oh, that's right. The worker shot me. Uh, he tried to signal us up the ridge. And so he looked across the other side of the gully, you know, one side was rugged cliffs and this side was just pig firm where we were, you know, and, and it's pretty steep. And anyway, he, he had 40 about rounds and he filled his magazine and he just kept pulling the bloody trigger like that, bang, bang, bang. Well, with a distress signal, uh, it's three shots, a pause, and then another three. And that's a code for, for your trouble signal, you want help. Mm. And of course, the, what he did, he just went bang, 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 and they saw these mob of goats running that cliff, and they thought we were having fun shooting them, you know. And so um, they started to bug off back to the batch, which was about oh, nearly a couple of miles down the ridge and on along the flat and then across the river. And the bloke that was a son that owned the property, he thought, that's strange. They see those goats there, but he thought, well, it might be something else. Just being a farmer, lived there and hunting all the time. And so he said to the other bloke, well, we'll better go and have a look. So they come down there and they found me like that, but I'd, I'd started to walk out myself. Wow. But blood come out all the more so I thought I'd better lay there and I didn't know I thought I'd just lay here or die I suppose <laughs> and uh, and when they found me they sort of 
lay down. And so I lay down. And so my, uh, my pack, my mate pulled out his bloody knife and cut it in the strips. And they made a rough bloody bandage around here and stuffed more stuff in there to plug up the wounds. <laughs> and then they tried to make a stretcher. There wasn't much growing because there'd been floods through there and had been burnt years ago. And it was rough, there was bloody lawyer, that's a hell of a creeper with bloody hooks on it, and blackberries and pink fern and rocks sticking up. Mm. It was the only way down to the way to take me down back towards the hut where the Amptons could come up. Anyway, they, they made this rough stretcher. And anyway, the big chap was in the front, and the other bloke, Freddie Fowler, he was pretty lightly built, pretty small. They actually carried me for about 50 metres, then the bloke said on the back, he said, I'm bugging. And so in the end, this dragged me out. And the back, my back of the body, around my bum and that, was dragging on the ground. And when they went over sharp bloody rocks and logs, uh, it just ripped me bloody back to bits there and made a hell of a mess. Well, I, 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 I didn't feel it because I still, I, I, I didn't like what I felt, but I thought, doesn't matter, I've got to get out. Eventually the bloke has shot me, he went running down to where we parked our bloody car, got his little morrisade, money and that, and he managed to get down to the gravel road, up the Blackwater, that's uh, opposite where you've got an artillery, and uh, two, you've been there in the Murchison at all? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, uh, just before you get into about well, before you go past the camping ground, there's a bridge that goes over to Martiri. Mm -hmm. He went down, he went down uh, on the river to see if there was anybody picnicking there, because a lot of people used to picnic going through the coast or something to have a break. Mm -hmm. So he went there to see if there was anybody, because he's yelling out, Oh, there's somebody dying! There's a couple, well there was, but he didn't see them. He ran past them first, and they were some distance away, a bit higher. And so they said, there's something happened, what, what are you yelling out for? And he says, the young bloke, he's been shot, I'm looking for the ambulance. Because they'd rung ahead on the walkie-talkie, told the ambulance from Moosin to come out and pick me up. Eventually, well, the doctor on the men tried to come home halfway into the bush, and he put, he gave me a shot of bloody Panasonic and wrapped heaps of bloody tape around it, mm -hmm. uh, stopped the air going back and to stop the bleeding and all that. And we had to cross the river. So when they were crossing the river with this bloody stretcher, one of them tripped over a bloody boulder and my head went under bloody water. <laughs> and so they pulled me up there quickly before I bloody drowned. And eventually they got me in the ambulance in the back. And uh, anyway, they took off and the bloody wheels were spinning the river because they got as close as they could on the boulders so the others had to push it up and then they got on just like a bloody track to track pushed the ambulance down through this bloody rough stuff and I was bouncing off all down on a bloody stretcher and head hit the roof one time and anyway they eventually got out they kept going to Kareri uh, had the old ambulance flat out and uh, when they, when they were getting into Kareri, the bloody engine started boiling shit like a bloody steamer. I mean, I didn't know I was out too cold. And, uh, and it, they told me afterwards. But anyway, when we got there, well, I sort of came to. 
and I don't know where the hell I lost you know? <laughs> and, and he says is there anything I can get you he says we boil the ambulance dry and we've got to wait till she cools down before we put the water otherwise it's crack your block and I said yeah Oh, I said, I want a big glass of lemonade because when you lose blood like that, you get thirsty. Mm -hmm. That's that's a rule. That's what happens. Also, get me a packet of cigarettes, any kind, because it's smoking. So he bought the lemonade out and I took that down because you get thirsty, you know, when you look that much blood. And I said, uh, where's, where's the cigarettes? He said, look. He said, I give you a cigarette, the smoker come out and hold me bloody chest. Well, he said, wouldn't that be interesting? Nobody's done that before. And anyway, uh, but, but while they're at uh, Kariri, sort of halfway to Nelson, they rang up the hospital and they said, well, a young bloke had been shot and, uh, and the doctor had run through from Merston before they got to there. And he said, uh, don't go to too much trouble, because there's only one chance in about 10,000 you make it alive. But anyway, Eric has fleeting memories of being wheeled through the double doors of Nelson Hospital. Uh, about one o'clock in the morning, I come to again. I couldn't believe what I saw. I thought I was looking at an angel. I thought I'd made it to the other side. Couldn't be such a bad bugger, because this angel looked ahead of face about that far away from me. But she was looking straight into my eyes. And she was that bloody beautiful, she couldn't do nothing else but an angel. And so they put me in a room by myself, and, and, then, and then suddenly, about one o'clock in the morning, there's a bloody earthquake, and she bang! And I thought, I can't do anything, <laughs> nothing. You know, and looking above me, there's a bloody big lamp, you know, for extra powerful light. Oh, if that bloody thing snaps, it'll hit me right in the head. Wow. Take, no angel could save me like that. I was in that room for a week, wow. all to me, and there was a cord, and they said, if you have any trouble at all, or you want something, Eric, all you need to do is pull that cord. And of course, I wanted to see that nurse again, you know. And anyway, I pulled it, and she came running in, and about the third time I did it, she said, Eric, what are you up to? And I said, well, I feel good when you're here and I don't feel so much pain, I tell you, but when you go, I feel lonely and I feel this pain, so can't you stay? Oh no, Eric, she says there's other patients too. <laughs> it would take Eric months to recover from his ordeal, but it would also be the start of his foray into the world of bodybuilding, an obsession that continues today, even in his 10th decade. My thanks go to Eric for his time. Join me, Charlie Cuff, next week on Fresh FM as we travel back in time through the last century in the Gen Z time machine. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.